Hello and welcome to the Education Marketer Podcast. A year or so ago, you couldn't move for the phrase hybrid events. But since then, the landscape has changed dramatically with most universities returning to in-person activities. But is this what students want? Joining me today is John Cheek, founder of Uni Taster Days. John has insights from the tens of thousands of events published on the Uni Taster Days website. And today, he shares with us what we need to be doing in order to win students' attention. Let's get on with the show. When we were you know, first in lockdown and, and we were looking at, as a, as a website, how we can help, it was a big concern for us because we essentially were supporting students, parents and teachers booking for school groups to find on-campus events and, and everything was on campus. Like, you, you know, now we, we kind of are in that hybrid stage and we'll talk about that in a second, but the... Mm. Everything at that point was completely in, on, on campus. And a, a little story for you is, is we, I, I chatted to the web team when we first went into lockdown and said, look, naturally everything now is going to need to be online. And the idea we had is literally to say, look, there's 2000 events on the site. Let's just pull out all the online ones and put them in one place and school students, parents can find them. Sounds sensible, 2000 events, uh, but only nine at that point out of 2000. <laughs> Well, like, so, it, and I think that kind of shows you the, the kind of situation that, that we were in at that point. Naturally, then over time, you had universities that, you know, we started hearing more about online events and then mm. online events became perhaps less popular. And, and we started then thankfully to see in-person events. And that's kind of what brought us to this hybrid situation where we have a mix of, of in-person and online. I, I think it, the struggle that I've got with hybrid at the moment, I'm, I'm a big fan of university events and hybrid events as well is where people try and serve both audiences. So for example, I, I think you can have a really good in-person event and I think you can have a really good online event. Yeah. If you try and get a really good in-person event online, it doesn't really work. In my experience, it doesn't really work. And, and likewise, we do it the same with, with live and recorded. Like you have, you know, we launched a series of live events when we first went into lockdown. They're really popular, worked really well. But the second we started pressing record on those, and having them as recordings, it's just, it just doesn't really work. It's very difficult to suit kind of both audiences. And, and it's not just, this isn't just confined to universities following. My wife's a teacher and a mm. textile teacher, and, and she had to do hybrid stuff, like, you know, try and teach textiles, making stuff in person and online, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's impossible. Um, but we're now at the nice situation. I think that we're in a really good point where we're actually having some really good online events that you need to do and some really good in-person events and, and there's loads of benefits to both essentially. Yeah. I, I think you've nailed it there. I mean, as a species, we're, we're terrible at doing two things at once. Um, and you know, you see, I don't know, it's, it's not so much a common thing, job descriptions now, but I remember like, like probably about 10, five years ago, there was always like a job spec thing saying like good at multitasking and you know, multitasking is for a computer. It's a computer phrase. It's a processing phrase from like the nineties and we're not designed for that. Um, yeah, you're right. It's a nightmare to have an audience in front of you, but then you've got to think about the, the poor digital audiences often like that laptop over there in the corner. Mm. It's very difficult. And, you know, I think you are right. If you tailor an experience for a digital audience and, and the personal, then you, you're much, you're much better off. I can see the logic behind it where people say, you know what, this, this has been a really good live event and there's people that have booked that can't attend. Let's just make it recording. But like, you know, little things like drawing a live, live event, you'll say, oh, pop a message in the Q and A. I've got no interest when you're watching the recording and you can kind of take it out, but it looks a bit rubbish and we still do it. Like, the thing that makes me laugh on that subject as well is, is before you know, lockdown and everything, you used to do an in-person session and 
and you always got school colleagues or university practitioners, depending on who the event was, was for, they would say, can we have your slides? And you're thinking, these are no use to you whatsoever. But do you really want these? Yeah. Why do people, but now it's, can we have a recording? And it's, it's, it's interesting how things have, um, and I suppose recordings are perhaps more useful than slides mm. with, I've never understood why, why people want people's slides. Um, yeah, just, in, yeah, interesting times. I've looking at your, your site, um, recently and you know, you're, you're known for talking to the student audience. Um. But you've also got like discrete sort of programs and, and tracks for a non-student audience as well. And, you know, one that, um, that piqued my interest is that you pay a lot of attention to parents and, uh, you know, parents are pretty much an underserved audience. They, they don't get a lot of love, but they do in like their own kind of community groups and universities have guides and stuff like that, but never priority. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like based on your, your experience of you know, designing those content programs. Um, you know, how do, how do parents want to be communicated with? What are those sort of topics that they're interested in and how do you, how do you go about it? Yeah, I think parents, they're, they're a huge, and actually a huge supporter, but a huge influencer. And there is, I think some research and, and don't, don't quote me, I'm, I'm probably close to this, about 2015 by GTI Media, I think they looked at, at, at influencers and, and yeah. parents naturally came out as the biggest influencer. So, so we've always kind of had it in the back of our minds at UniTC is that we need to do more for parents. And, and in terms of, of how we work, we've, we've got in the main, we support school colleagues to find university events and, and naturally then we see more students that are looking for university events and, and parents, I suppose, are still, if I'm honest, the, the, the third audience in terms of, of what we do, but we, we're trying to do more for parents given they are so, so, so important and you know, reduce like a parent's guide to uni and. We've got a newsletter that a lot of people do in terms of parents, but, but I completely, like parents are such a, a massive influence on, on what, what a student will go on to do. And, and not just actually, not just an influence in the sense of, of encouraging them to go to university, because let's not forget some parents didn't go to university, perhaps don't know so much about it. And actually they, they might then be a barrier because they might you know, say to, to, to a student, no one in our family has ever been before to university. So, so you know, perhaps you might want to consider an alternative path. And so it's not just a case of parents being that, that that influence to do something, it might be actually, you know, sadly the influence to, to not do it. So we're, mm. we're doing more than ever in terms of parents. If I'm honest, Kyle, are we nailing it? No. Um, we, I was really interested to, to listen to your most clicked with, you know, that you do with the smile guys, Nathan and, yeah. and Matt, yeah. the, and you'd said about that research with 20,000 parents. And you said that email was the most 97% wanted emails and, yeah. and 8% yeah. wanted weekly comms. Um, honestly I, I found that really interesting so that certainly for, for your audience is, is one definitely worth checking out in terms of resources we're quite fortunate in terms of accessing parents that that we've got a big database of school colleagues so we can say reduce now so we produce a parents guide to university brochure rather than emailing it to a database of parents what we do is email that to a database of heads of sixth form and careers colleagues in a school if they see it as a useful resource they might then share it with 100 parents so you can you know, send it to one person and get it out to so we're quite fortunate in that sense that we have that avenue in there, but, but let's not forget universities also have that as well. So, so universities will have database of teachers and they, therefore they can get stuff out to parents in that, in that, in that way. Uh, I like newsletters. There's in terms of unis that are doing it well, I've seen there's, there's probably a lot and I'm doing a disservice, I bet to loads of unis by shouting out some, but, but some things that I've seen, um, and this, this is not comprehensive whatsoever. But uh, the University of Exeter, I think they've got a, a platform called Discover um, for parents. University of South Wales have got parents' pages. Um, you've got like the University of uh, who else are doing some stuff for parents. You've got 
University of Salford, I know I've got a parents newsletter, University of Sunderland parents newsletter. You know, these aren't, if I'm honest, these aren't you know, groundbreaking niche ideas that no one else would have. So I'd imagine most, if not all universities are doing it. My main point really in terms of, of parents is, is just that they, they are such a, an important audience and, and actually think about university. If I just suggested one thing that universities could do more with parents in terms of content, you know, our bags, university guidance and stuff is, is student finance. That's the one that parents a really want to know about, but, but as well as wanting to know about there's they generally are, haven't got a clue about it. So actually, you know, telling, telling parents how student finance works, if, if a student earns X, they start paying back at this. And actually parents are often quite reassured that the system's not as bad as they, you know, sometimes no, they just get and think, ah, oh, this sounds awful. But, um, but yeah, I think this, I think it's certainly something that we're doing a lot more, um, as at Unitosis, but, but universities, I think naturally doing more. That's why, like, so when I was listening to your most clicks, I thought this is really interesting because obviously a lot of unis that you're working with are talking to you about parents as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to give uh, the, uh, the the that that paper another look at some point because, like you, I was I was quite surprised at some of the the insights that came out of that, and I couldn't believe the frequency of communication like you you mentioned there. Um, but it's also interesting to hear that some universities are going well. Okay, news that is great, um, but that University of Exeter Discover platform sounds really interesting. I'm going to give that like a check. Could it does make sense to have a portal and a destination for an audience to go to. And you, you know, other than like a PDF parents guide, you, you very rarely get much more than that from a university. So that's, that's really cool. And you know, thanks for bringing that one to, to my attention. I'm going to give it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's maybe the challenge with parents is it's not the, they're not the easiest audience to, to, you know, if you want to contact teachers, there's loads of ways that you can contact teachers. Obviously we're one of them, but the, but then parents it's, there's, there's not, you know, it's not like they're all signing up in a central place. And, and that's actually why the beauty of, of, of us engaging via schools, because schools have that platform. But again, I won't keep on talking about that most clicked episode, but, but Matt was brilliant on that. And kind of, I could completely share his, his comments. Like I, I'm, my daughter's only seven and I get so many emails from the school. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, different approaches, but. But if you, I think if you're, if you're producing really, you know, sort of thinking of the universities, if you speak, if you're producing really useful content for parents, then, then schools are a great way of getting it out to parents because they'll, they'll share it with more. Yeah. Okay. So let's, um, let's have a chat about the student audience. Um, cause you have thousands, well, you probably have tens of thousands of events on your site. I mean, there's a lot of events on your, on your website. Um, and I'm, I'm getting a feeling that probably over time, you've probably Zord via osmosis like the the best kind of events that you know retain attention and, and get registrations so you know based on that sort of body of knowledge what what takeaways would you share with with universities because you know we know we're in an era where we're we're not just competing with you know other universities it's this war for attention isn't it so you know how do we win attention in the in the events department based on uh, your uh, your own research yeah, thanks, Carl. It's a really good question. Um, I think in a, in one word, well, it's not one word actually, but in one sentence, I think doing things differently is good. Um, in terms of the the really popular events we see over at UniTCs, summer schools are the one. Like, it, I know a lot of universities do summer schools, and not just summer schools, actually residentials, like giving students the experience to to visit a university, practice day overnight, university, live like a student. Mm. You can see now. I put my I'm 38 now, so it's a long time since I was a student, but I put myself in the student's shoes and I would love an event like that, like, you know, to go and visit a university, have some taste of lectures, do some of the fun stuff in the evenings, 
stay overnight. Like how, like for a 17 year old, how, how exciting is that? So, so summer schools, residentials, I'd say for universities, if you're not doing them, I'd, I'd seriously suggest you explore doing them. They're really popular when it comes to uni tastes in, in terms of what people are searching for. Um, and they actually one note on that on summer schools and residential actually is, is it doesn't to actually organize them, I'd imagine is, is a huge job. Certainly when you, when you incorporate the residential aspects, but in terms of like niche things I'm seeing universities doing and is, is some unis actually have events in the day, but for whatever reason, they can't support the residential aspect. So they might have like a summer school for a week, but actually students arrange their own accommodation. And, no, and it's, again, it's, it, I think that's quite neat because it means that you know, some unis can sort out accommodation for students, but that make, makes it a, a huge job. But actually putting on a program of events that students can access and, and if they're keen, they can look at, you know, exploring their own accommodation. It's, I thought that was really cool. Um, a shout out for the uh, Arts University Plymouth, I think, of the uni that I spy. And there might be others that, that do that. So I thought that was quite neat. Um, the other thing, actually, which links to some of your posts and some of your work, Kyle, is, is subject specific activities. So you can see like unis all over the UK will be doing like personal statement workshops and student finance workshops and key facts workshops. And they're all great. A lot of unis now are doing subject activities. So a taster session in biochemical engineering or a taster session in optometry, what, whatever it is. Um, and I think those events are great because, because it's a, not all universities are doing them. So they're going to jump out more to students, but B they're, they're helping students when it comes to picking courses, schools love that because they ensure, ensure students make really good decisions of city university of London. They've got, I think 25 subject events right at the start of July, um, that students can look wow. on directly. Um, yeah, University of East London do a lot in that sense, and loads of us do. But I think subject subject activities are great. Um, but my main point is is actually doing things a little bit different. I think is is great as well. That that you know, we all kind of do the same thing because we're working with similar audiences, and 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 the audiences have want similar things. But actually, going a little bit outside the box, I think, would make you know, events jump out quite a lot. You know, just listening to you there, like I, I, some of the greatest like initiatives for recruitment, they, they are like taster sessions and, you know, residentials. And I think back to the, the past when I've, I've worked in marketing teams in universities and, you know, on, on several occasions and on most occasions, really this whole recruitment arm is feels very separate to, to marketing activity. And, you know, if you, you translate that over as like a, you know, the commercial world, you, you kind of have like your sales initiatives working much more closely with, with marketing. Okay. It's not always the ideal match in heaven. Right. But, um, I, I think there's more potential for universities to have that stronger link with their recruitment teams. Could these sort of experiences, you know, they do have that unique, that unique aspect to them, don't they? And an open, an open day is great. It's like a front window and you get that decent experience, but you know, the chance to actually, you know, have a taster session about a topic or a subject or actually come onto a campus and experience it i've worked those um uh, those residentials in the past and they, they are very effective and they're very immersive and you know in the the one that we did actually students were put up on the campus hotel so it wasn't right in halls kind of thing but you, you can see how you know something like that could really like work and actually make an impression on a young person you know rather than just like the traditional sort of media that you you've outlined there as well Totally great, yeah. And you look at and you look at you know now at the ages we are we are we we recommend like we not recommend sorry we remember 
school trips and stuff, the school trips I did. Like, so if you had a few days at university, you're going to remember, even if you don't go to university, you're probably going to be warm to that university for mm. the long term. Because you're going to think, you know what, that university let me, and they're generally free as well. So I didn't pay anything. I had yeah. two days with the, so, and, so I think it's, you know, obviously there's recruitment benefits to it, but the, there's, there's obviously big benefits in terms of raising aspirations to university too, things like summer schools. But I think they're just so, so great. And actually one other, I, I, I spot different bits of research and I find, you know, that I find really interesting. And one thing I bumped into recently is there was a graduate outcomes survey that looked at what students do. And this, I think there was the survey dates back to about 2016 ish. So perhaps not as up to date as it could be, but the, it looked at basically where students live after they studied and it was fascinating, Carl. So you, so say if a student, I know, studies in a particular place for three years and finishes university, they're about 50% there's a 50% chance roughly that in five years after they finish uni, they'll still be living there. So it makes it, so you look at that. So for a student, they're not just picking where they're going to live for three years when they're at uni. There's actually a 50% chance that, that once they actually finish university, they're going to be living there five years after they have finished. And, and actually it makes you think more about things like residentials that, that it's such a, they're so important because it's not just showing a student at university, it's, it's letting them experience the area and, there's big mm-hmm. things like retention of students now. And you know, obviously we don't want students dropping out of university for various reasons, but, but one of the reasons that perhaps they drop out is they don't like the area and they think, you know what, I didn't spend enough time picking courses. And, and again, it's another shout out why in-person events are great, but also why, you know, open days are great. Why things like summer schools are, are great as well. That's crazy. Like five years, 50%. I mean, that's, that's good news for alumni teams as well. Cause that means your network potentially is on like your your doorstep and yeah you can do so much with that that's like a, almost like a, a very virtuous circle really if you have your kind of local sort of happy graduates and yeah I didn't, wow i didn't really know it's like five, so you, can five kind of see, you can kind of see how it happens so because I was, I was thinking about it more afterwards and i was thinking well you can see how it like so you've got say a, a student that gets a part-time job when they're at uni and then that part-time job turns into a full-time job when they finish they they end up staying in that area or they might meet a, you know a long-term partner at uni like I've, I've went to the same university as my now wife and, and we had that area in common. It, and I think things like that happen a lot and you can kind of see how that is the case, but I'd look at, there's probably more up to date research available on it, but it didn't actually surprise. Once I started thinking about it more, I thought I'm not actually that surprised at this, mm-hmm. that you've got, and also students love independence, don't they? So they live in somewhere for three years and, and perhaps get a grasp of the area. And, and the alternative is to get a job and start somewhere else from scratch that they might you know, perhaps not like. And yeah, just interesting. Yeah, it feels a bit much to kind of throw out that sort of three to four year sort of relationship you've you've built up, doesn't it? Um, yeah, that's great though. Yeah, I'm gonna have a look at that. Send me the link to the report when you. Yeah, I'll tag you in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheers. Um, you've touched on the teacher audience as well, but I think we we should dive into that bit bit more. Um, what what do you think is the chief pain point of of that audience, and you know, more importantly, how do you think universities can help solve that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think from the, the school's perspective, the the chief pain point actually, Kyle, is they just want more. Like you've like, like you look at schools, they've got a statutory duty to work with universities. So so they've got their own, uh, you know, they, they want to improve aspirations, I'm sure, of students and get more students perhaps thinking about their long-term futures and things. So they've got kind of that side, but then they've got the, the statutory duty to actually do it. And then you've got schools that want to, want to therefore engage with universities and and some schools are saying they they they're struggling to contact their local unis and you unis are, are really stretched so i think in terms of 
kind of in terms of, of pain points, that'll be the the main one that I'd say that from a school's perspective is is they want more than is available because universities only have a certain number of resources. And if, if if there's say a team of five practitioners that are going to careers fairs on a certain day and taster sessions on a certain day with some schools, the challenge then is that they that, that there's not as much availability when it comes to university practitioners that's there. So I say from a school's perspective, that will be the, the chief pain point is just they want more from universities than, than they're getting. Um, jumping out, like other, other bits, I suppose, that link into that. And, and I don't know if I'm going too much into this, Carl, and, and stop me if I am, but that's where I sometimes struggle with, with how universities do things, if I'm honest. Like the, we're not selling cars. I'm not for a second saying we are, but if you were selling cars and you've got a 30,000 pounds car that you're looking to, to sell and 50% of people that are going to buy these cars are in a certain place, i.e. schools, if it's universities, these car manufacturers will be all over that. Like, so they, if I was, so if I, so if I was in charge of a university, I would, you know, says the man that's got a university event site, that's got an obviously vested interest, but I would be putting as much resource as I possibly could in into schools. And that's not just working with years, you know, 12 and 13 to so 17 year olds, 18 year olds. It's working with year sevens, like building relationships with schools, because ultimately 50% of students, rough 40 to 50% of students will go on to university. So that's where their audience is. And I just don't, I, so whenever schools say to me that, that they're struggling to contact, you know, you, they're not contacting you, but they're struggling to get a university in. And it's usually because schools are busy, so they don't perhaps give as much notice as they should. A bit of me is just thinking, I, I find this bonkers. Like if I was, you know, if I was in charge of a uni, I would, I would put so much more resource into schools liaison because this is so, so important. And not just for recruiting unis, like, you know, for every type of university and, and raising profile in, in the area. And then you mentioned alumni earlier on, like there's this, wider benefits to it long term i think the biggest pain points that schools got is is they just want more 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 for university but i'm not criticizing universities in that sense because there is only so much resource and and certainly for in-person events one person can only be in one place at one time and and that's and that's the challenge in it yeah I've, I've seen some innovation in this area so and the university escapes me unfortunately um but i i know one institution they they were literally sending out at, at one point on picking up that thread that you mentioned they wanted more um when they can't get to a school in the immediate they send out a it's almost like a an activity packs the wrong phrase it's like a lesson plan box and it's quite a nice mm -hmm. experience right so it goes out teacher gets all this kind of resource and information around a certain certain topic so they can facilitate a, a session the, the other thing i'm seeing is the more um more use of digital sessions too um and we said at the beginning that actually it used to be all oh, the nine events that are digital well well now it's very very different and so i see a lot of universities running those regular sort of subject taster sessions so students can sign up and schools be made aware of this but yeah i think there there is a challenge and and you're right to to highlight it and i think I think every school's days on team I've ever worked with has been stretched. You know, trying to get into these different areas, they're trying to prioritize certain territories and it's very, very difficult for them. And, you know, I think some, some of those um, issues can be solved with digital and scale. It's quite resource heavy to go and visit a, a physical location because you can only go to like a couple or, or maybe three in a day if you're lucky. Um, but at the same time, yeah, there is, there is a problem there with deciding which territories you want to focus on. But, you know, there's ways around this, isn't there? Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's, I think it's a very, 
widely felt pain point and you're, you are right to raise it. It's, it's interesting about the resort. I, I know exactly the resource you're talking about, but I share with you, I can't think of the uni that's that can, like sends stuff to schools. And I think that's, you know, it, and it, that's helpful, um, as is digital content is helpful. Uh, but I just see that the people that are employed by universities in schools, liaison, education, liaison roles, they are experts. That's what mm-hmm. they do day in, day out. And, and I don't, I, I think it's a big difference between sending something to a school, which is great if you can't physically, you know, that's more helpful than just saying to school, I can't do it. Like yeah, you can say, I can't do it, but we've got this, so you can do it. But these, these practitioners are so good that they, they do this day in, day out. They inspire students, they help students. And it's so different to then give it to the school and say, present that or do, or give them that. Because as we all know, if I, if you have ever presented, going back to, I used to work at university like you, Carlin. And we'd have events that someone can't do and they give you their slides. There is, it's horrendous. I'm going to use other people's slides and you're like, this is not my style at all. So, and the schools, and, and schools will be in that situation there. You've got, um, another, I, I, I won't worry again with too many stories, but, but another quick story is, is I, I support a school that's really local to me and I've done for ages. And then during the, the period of lockdown, well, actually when we're out of lockdown, but, but we were still in the situation where we had to kind of, if, if anyone in the household was doing a test, you had to then isolate. Long story short, Kyle, I was, I was supposed to be helping a school that's really close to me. Um, but my son was waiting for a result. So, so I had to basically isolate. So I said to the school, Look, I, I'm really sorry, but we're waiting for this. Um, they said, oh, it's fine. We can just do it online. So I did the session online and in my eyes, the session went brilliant and like as brilliant as it could kind of done. And yeah. And then had the, had these negative results. Then I contacted the school and said, look, I'm, it's lunchtime. I can come in and do the last two sessions in person. So I did the last two sessions in person, but. I could see the screen from the first session that was still in the room. And this screen was so small. And in my eyes, like the, uh, as a practitioner, I'm sat with a laptop in, at the, in the morning thinking, oh, that, that session's gone really well. Actually, they, if I'm honest, the school probably turned it off because they, there's no way I'm, I'm, I've got slides up and I'm saying, look at this. And this screen's really small. And, and where I'm going with this is, is you can give schools resources, digital resources, et cetera, but it's still, it's a reliant on schools having the, the really good tech that's going to do the resources justice. Mm-hmm. But you just don't know what the room's going to be like if it's going to be appropriate like this i think there's big challenges and and ultimately I, I just keep on going back to if you if if i was in charge of a university i'd just if schools want more and and i'm a university who hasn't got enough resource to give schools what they want i would be investing so much more in schools liaison resource to to make sure that my links with with univers with schools close to me or even further away from me are a1 you know, one thing that came across my, my desk probably about eight, eight months ago now, maybe a bit more is that I'm seeing more recruitment professionals using digital platforms like, like LinkedIn to build profile and get presence and make for connections with partnerships and schools. And, you know, if people want an example of it, they should look at, um, UA92 and their recruitment team. They are so visible on LinkedIn, especially their, um, director of admissions and, and, and recruitment. Um, yeah. yeah, very high profile. Isabel Parsons, her name is, and she uses like LinkedIn every day. She's clearly well connected in the sector, and you know she doesn't even have to leave leave her desk. And obviously, she does and goes visits and does speaking and and, and speaks to young people. But as part of that, she has that kind of huge digital reach that gets her in the door to these situations. And 
you know, thinking about what you just said there, like, okay, at the moment we, we look at digital as a way to facilitate sessions. Well, maybe the answer is, okay, we might do a little bit of that, but maybe digital is better served to build, build the network to then get those more high profile opportunities to speak to the young people. Mm, um, it's really interesting you mentioned about it as well. I, yeah. Um, I, so, so now we're both talking about, you know, someone that's, that's absolutely nailing social engagement and, um, I'm also connected to it as well. So I see kind of the posts in and it just shows the value of that. Like I know, you know a, a lot of people probably spend, and I'm myself included, I probably spend far too much time on, on things like LinkedIn. Um, but I, I find it really useful in terms of finding out, you know, how things are changing and connecting with audiences and stuff. But I, I think in terms of social, I, I think if, if you're going to, if you're going to do it, do it well. Uh, the, the, you see people, I don't know that you see it, Kyle, I'm sure, but the, you have some people that will perhaps post once every six months and then say, it's not worth it. <laughs> I have no opinion on that. What at all? Um, but like, you know, it's about obviously nailing it. And, and I found actually, you know, LinkedIn, I find super, super useful for, for what I do. It's basically, you know, I work with a lot of careers advisors in schools and, and actually they're in the career space. So they're on platforms like LinkedIn. And, um, yeah, I think, I think actually pro like platforms like LinkedIn is, is so, so useful in terms of, of raising, you know, raising your own personal awareness as a practitioner, but also know that institutions awareness as well and, and actually i think we're seeing more and more people probably inspired by by your work kyle more and more people now are, are doing more with it that's very nice you to say i think i think people are using it before i started using it but um yeah maybe there's maybe there's a small link there i do notice the occasional carousel pop up that kind of similar to mine <laughs> um but i take it as flattery to be honest i mean <laughs> if i'm if i'm being copied then great i'm, I'm glad i'm making that kind of impact um Thank you. I've really enjoyed speaking to you today. Uh, I want to pull together some of the stuff you've been, you've been talking about, like just into this final thread here. Um, what, what do you think is that like, number one thing holding university of back from, you know, almost legendary recruitment events, things that really stick in a student's mind and, you know, what, what tips would you give universities to perhaps overcome some of those barriers? Um, Good question. I'm sorry, I just scribbled in a few notes afterwards from, from what you just mentioned. But the uh, what's on it? So, I, I think in terms of, of, of universities, I, I ask a few questions. Are, are we taking enough risks? Um, I'm not sure we are. Like, it's are we like, is it kind of like hopefully I say this right? I'm not going to be showing my age, but like the Apple is it Apple Vision Pro that that, yeah, that dropped yeah. recently? Like, are any universities thinking, you know what, how can we utilize this? Um, you know, I, I, so I think it, my first kind of point would be. Are we taking enough risk? My my second point is is about the importance when it comes to events of, of getting really good people as the person, you know, really good people in terms of presentations that are doing activities. So and I don't mean schools and college practitioners because they'll that's their job. They'll be brilliant at it. But I've mystery shopped a few. I say mystery shopped. I, I was employed to mystery shop them, but I have interest. I attend open days sometimes and just see what's happening in the sector. And, and I can yeah, you know, I can. I can remember really good sessions. I've felt, my God, that's fantastic. I've also been at sessions where you know, laptops weren't working and, and the presenter came late and oh, this is like, that's, you know, that type of thing. I know it's basics, but that, that type of thing shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't happen. If you're a, a parent, a student, and you're, you're potentially investing money and time. Now, time's more important, by the way, everyone always worries about student finance and how much university costs. You can make money, but you can't get the time back. So if you're investing three years plus of your, your life at a university. You're going to want to make sure that's the university for you. So you now when you go to a session and, and someone's late or the PowerPoint's not working or that's awful. Like that's, you know, I, I think that's painful, but I, but putting on a positive, I can always remember I went to a BCU open day 
and I'm not sure he still works there, but Professor David Wilson, who's a criminologist, hmm. did a session um, that I attended on the subject uh, was serial killers. Um, but it was the most fantastic, fascinating session. And this was like 12, 13 years ago. I still remember it now. Like, so, so I'm not, yeah, I want to put a positive on that. Like, I don't want to say, oh, we need to stop doing things badly. I think we just, perhaps we need to start doing things really well more. Um, I think that's like, I think that, that is really, 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 really a great tip for you know, practitioners. And, you know, you look at open days, like you, you get your vice chancellors doing the, the welcome session that everyone goes to or, or everyone is encouraged to go to. Um, is the vice chancellor always the best person to, to do that? I don't know. That's a question that, that universities might, might ask, but you've got, so I think, are, are we, are we kind of taking that risk? And then the, the final point, which kind of links back to a few, a few times I mentioned this already, but about you know, stuff that we've done during lockdown, but, but like you, Carl, I've previously worked at university. So I kind of have a grasp of how universities work. And, and when we first went into lockdown, schools were contacting us saying, who's got online events. And that's the time when we only had nine on our site and it was a challenging time. In my mind, I thought universities are going to do this well, but they're not going to do this well straight away. Like the, like even an approved supply process, if you want to register a platform like Zoom or whoever it is as an approved supplier, that's going to take time. So I thought to myself, you know what, we'll fill that gap until universities offer really good provision. And that's exactly what happened. Like we, we, we started these Taster Tuesday events that and I'm not saying this as, are we, aren't we all great, Carl, but, but we'd start these Taste of Tuesday events. And, and because universities weren't at that point really doing online events, we would like have in on a Tuesday, like 500 students registered That's for amazing. it. Was, Monday night, I, I couldn't sleep because I was like, I'm, I'm not comfortable yet with Zoom who was hosting it and stuff. And, but then, but linking on, on from that, universities start adding, add, you know, start had it, having brilliant online events, you know, maybe a month or so after that. And our numbers were just gradually going down. <laughs> <laughs> And I knew that was going to happen. Like I could just foresee that, that universities will do this, but it will take time. So, so linked to my first point about taking up risks, I think it's, it's really good to, to perhaps do things faster. And I'm not saying everything will always work. Like you might have one of my favorite sayings is, is like it, it might work. And if it doesn't, you've learned. And I think that's a good way of doing it. Like you can launch stuff for schools and, and, and plus side, it might be fantastic and might be accepted and used. And you might then have other universities like your reels that you do on LinkedIn, uh, Kyle, people yeah. copying. That's a good thing, right? But you might, you might launch stuff and it doesn't work, but that's, that's right as well. Like if you, yeah, you, you've then learned and you try something else and the people at the moment can't do that because they're, they're too, too stretched. Like you just far, they're far too busy going to traveling all over the world and, or the UK, um, visiting schools to be able to then take more, more risk ultimately afterwards. I mean, I, I'll tell you something, I built my business on trying shit that didn't work um and you have you have to do it and it's a real shame that we don't incorporate failure into the development of initiatives and you know you i think you mentioned right at the beginning as well like people do things once oh it, it didn't work and then they moved on but actually if you do it multiple times you kind of get better every time and you know as a form and as a, as a format something gets better and I really do feel that when we do anything like that, we need to incorporate in like a several step process to evaluate the effectiveness of something before you measure the, the kind of overall impact it has. It's almost like we're missing that first piece of the, of the puzzle. And it's, it is potentially holding us back as a sector. It's easy for me to say that because I don't work in a university anymore. And like you, yeah. you've been in that situation. The pressures are very real. But I often think that one of the upfront things you should say to stakeholders is that we need to 
try this. This is how we're going to do it. This is the early metrics that success we'd look for before we take it on. But rather than pinning all our hopes on like something and you know hoping it works out and then having to scrap it because someone says, oh, it didn't quite hit the goal, did it? And that's a real shame because I see so many great ideas that don't get off the ground. And yes, in recruitment events, but also in content as well. So yeah, I think there's a little bit of a, a barrier there that we we need to overcome. Completely um, agree. Oh, that's such a, I, I like, I, and we t- I don't, please don't, anyone feel that like I sit here and launch successful people all the time. There's loads of stuff that we <laughs> like, do that's, um, and videos, actually, just one f- cl- really final point, but actually one thing that, again, might resonate with the audience is, is there some kind of, there seems to be a strange thing going on at the moment with videos where like you, you perhaps launch a YouTube video and the next day you check, you've got say 30 views. And people are like, oh, it's only got 30 views. That's awful. Because you, 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 you watch videos that have got millions of views. And then like a, a practitioner which with school said you know, something similar to that with me recently. But, that's a look. but you would drive over an hour to speak to 30 students yeah. who only fi- watched that once. Whereas you produced a video, 30 views is all right. Like, this, I don't know. There's a strange thing about video, Carl, at the moment where people just seem to think you know, that they're going to drop something. And then all of a sudden they're going to get thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of views. Because that's what we watch. Isn't it? We watch like the you know, reels and stuff that have all that. But. But actually, if you get like, 30 views in 24 hours, that's, that's all right. That's the worry about it. It's so interesting comparing like something to Reels, like a standard YouTube video or whatever long form video, because um, I, I don't know which report it was. Maybe it was a creator talking about it on a podcast, but they said, look, okay, Reels get thousands of views, whatever it is, gets thousands of views. Can you remember a Reel that you watched? No, you can't, right? You've watched many. You can't remember one that really stood out. You just get an impression of it. but with your last YouTube video you watched, you can usually recall what that is, can't you? Um, so I think there's like a, a recall thing in there as well. Reels may be good for discovery and kind of getting in front of people enough times to have them subscribe to something bigger and longer form. But in terms of recall, yeah, um, you're never going to be recalled from like just kind of feeding that hamster wheel. You're recalled from like the the kind of longer form or thought out stuff you develop. And if it's 30 views, you've got to start somewhere. Do it more often, it might build up over time. So yeah, I think there's lots of potential um, for those forms. Um, I'm realizing that we're reaching time here. So uh, I really admire what you're doing. I think you've got some fantastic insights. You're doing some really great work in the sector. Where can people find you? What's the best way to, to get in touch? Yeah, so um, links, like in terms of like the social um, platforms, LinkedIn, uh, I mentioned before, I spend <laughs> probably far too much time on LinkedIn, but really enjoy it, find it really useful. So certainly, you know, connecting with me on LinkedIn is great. And, and in terms of, of our website, um, unitastings.com, we've got loads of resources to support schools when it comes to booking for school groups, loads of resources for students, lots of resources for parents. You know, a lot of people watching this and perhaps might be parent and guardian and find that handy. But uh, we're, you know, if you've got any ideas that what could we be doing better, um, always striving to improve, Carl, and, and really enjoyed this chat. So thank you so much for your time. Great, thanks for coming on. I will see you on LinkedIn. <laughs> I'll be there. Thank you.